Okay, so tell, tell me what you think. But this is what I wanted to start with before we even hear the theme music. I just got tea up my nose. Go ahead. Yeah, all right. Yep. Live from Kim's apartment in West Toronto, it's the 2018 Mission Impossible Awards with your hosts, Kim and Billy. And then we'll go, <laughs> and then we'll go to the music. As I'm laughing, the tea just went like further <laughs> up my nose. <laughs> I don't know how that's even possible. Uh, it tastes like berry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, why are we gathered here today, Billy? Well, we have two purposes, Kim. Purpose number one, give out some awards for this fantastic series we've been spending the last, I don't know, two months of our lives with. Yeah, totally a great use of our time. But before we get into that... We got some news, right? We got some things we got to get out of the way. We have had so much fun doing this that we perhaps arrogantly, I don't know if there's another word for it, but we we just want to keep doing it. We just want to keep making these episodes. So we have clearly run out of Mission Impossible movies. However, throughout this experience, we have often referenced other franchises. And you know what? We, we just love movies and we have so much fun talking about movies. So we're just going to go ahead and talk about different franchises. Yeah. So when we originally sat down to talk about this, uh, Kim really wanted to talk about Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And as we were looking at it, I was just like, there was this date looming in the future, which is like, I'm going to have to come in here one week and talk about lions for lambs. And that's the day at which the podcast dies. Like I just, and the thing is we've already talked about lions for lambs. And that was probably five minutes longer than anyone needs to talk about lions for lambs. So I was like, the podcast dies on that day. I won't be excited about it. Um, but then we were talking and like, I think one of the things that has bound together our friendship over the many years is a love for serialized filmmaking. Yeah, like as soon as a trailer drops for a big franchise film, we're almost immediately in touch with one another and we're making plans to go see it. And this is the type of filmmaking that kind of rules the world right now. And there's, you know, all sorts of very fair reasons to be upset about that. But you and I happen to be really glad about <laughs> really it. Really happy about that. And <laughs> we're so, your target audience, Hollywood. What a better way, what better way to kind of celebrate our friendship as podcasters than to keep talking about stuff like this. Exactly. And so the idea now is that moving forward, and I'll preface this by saying, again, nothing is set in stone, just like we thought this was going to be a podcast like exclusively about Tom Cruise. Uh, things change. Uh, so we are going to talk about different franchises interspersed with Tom Cruise dedicated episodes, which will be available exclusively to our subscribers on Patreon. That's right. So if you came here and you were like, what the fuck is this shit? I signed up for a Tom Cruise podcast. Don't fear. We are going to be talking about a new Tom Cruise movie every single month. You will get it as a bonus episode if you subscribe on Patreon. And which... there's going to be lots of stuff on Patreon, too. Like, we're starting with Tom Cruise-specific episodes, but we have plans, listeners. We do indeed. So if you head over to patreon.com slash Talk, you can see some of those plans. Um, you know, basically, as it stands right now, we can only afford to do so many of these episodes. If we want to do more than that, we need a little more support. So that's why we set up the Patreon page. Yeah, and if you head over to our Patreon page and you like what you see, but you also have ideas, please let us know. We would love to hear what you'd like to hear. And you can talk to us either on Patreon directly or you can at us, I guess. Is that what the kids that's say? That's what the kids say. You can add us at Twitter, yeah. uh, twitter.com slash 
Kim and Billy Talk, or I guess it's at Kim and Billy Talk. Yep. This, so the, the we are, are so good at this job <laughs> that we do. Um, but so, yeah, basically the name of this podcast is Kim and Billy Talk. That's what you're getting. You're getting Kim and Billy talking about stuff for the time being uh, until people clearly signal to us that they no longer <laughs> want to hear this. We're going to be talking about different franchises. Does that mean we're done with Mission Impossible? Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, does that mean we're done with Tom Cruise? No, nope, we've already uh, covered that. Uh, some things you can look forward to, probably slightly shorter episodes going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, I think to start, we have loved doing these three-hour sessions. <laughs> we appreciate that that might not yeah. be the easiest thing for every single listener. So look for some shorter episodes. Um, but yeah, as Kim said, we're, we're just going to stay flexible. We're going to see what works. So stay with us, see what happens. Kim. Are we announcing the first franchise that we're talking about next? I think we have to. If you listen to last week's episode, you know that Kim blurted it out. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. And we put a lot of thought into what would come next. And right. And actually, before you give the announcement, let's talk about the two concerns we have. Because we'd actually love to hear from our listeners about what, what you think about this. So two concerns we've had think about these. One is um, because we have so many millions of listeners and so much influence out there. <laughs> We're so popular. We do want to be mindful about the types of movies um, we cover. And we've, uh, we basically have a running, we have a running sheet of series we want to cover. And beside each entry is a reason why we shouldn't do it. And I'll give you a little example. <laughs> it would be a dream of mine to talk about the Lethal Weapon movies one day. Um, and I anticipate the day I do that, getting a call from my aunt saying, Billy, do you know what Mr. Gibson said about our people and having yeah. to deal with that? But this is important, right? Who, you know, who do we want to talk about as talking about inherently normalizes something? Um, we'd, we'd love to hear what you think about that. The other big concern we have is that when we sat down to do this Mission Impossible podcast on our original schedule, we basically had our fallout episode scheduled to drop right between when it had left theaters and before it was on home <laughs> video. So essentially the worst possible date uh, we could have done that. So we've been thinking about this going forward. We kind of want to not be out of sync with new entries that are coming up in any given series. This has proved to be far more difficult than we thought because every single series has something new coming out which on the one hand is super exciting like so many great new movies to look forward to and so many new uh podcast episodes to record but there's just there's there is an embarrassment of riches and Thank we have you, to yes. be streamlined in what we do and so we had a series picked out um that basically it, it had a, a new entry coming in february it was going to work out perfectly then they moved that entry we're like all right let's not do that now then we picked a second series and we we're like that's perfect because no one's ever going to make another one of those. That's over and done with. And then like literally the next day they uh, announced that I they mean, were in pre-production. <laughs> we should probably be fair. I think they announced it like a year ago and, and you we and I just had no idea. Yeah. But we're saying at this point, we don't care. We're sticking with our second choice because <laughs> you've got to have principles at some point. Kim, what are we talking about coming January? We are talking about a franchise that every time I hear it, it just makes my heart glow with happiness. I'm so excited to get started. Men in Black. You come back here the second week of January, you're going to hear Kim and Billy talk Men in Black. The entire trilogy. All three movies. <laughs> Starring, like, just Will Smith, who doesn't love Will Smith, and my other personal Hollywood hero, hero oh, 
Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be an exciting uh, little series here. It's only three movies, so I think we're kind of testing this out as like proof of concept, see if what we're trying to do works, makes sense. Who knows? Maybe we'll get through that, and then it's right back to Tom Cruise. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you can also look forward to a themed bonus Tom Cruise episode dropping on Patreon, but we're uh, not going to announce that just yet. Uh, because actually what we should still be hyping by the time you're listening to this next week, December 20th, you go to patreon.com slash Kimmy Billy talk. You're getting our Magnolia holiday extravaganza, which I mean, I still haven't seen it yet. Uh, because like, I don't know, like the way that Billy is treating this, I feel like I've ruined it now. Like there's no (laughs) way you're going to find it as shocking or as funny as you should, because I've been building up so much. I just feel like you're going to install like cameras in the room, like as I watch this movie. We can upload it to YouTube, <laughs> yeah. a first reaction. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be good. All right. Anyway, you're going to want to check that out. Um, other than that, I think the only thing we got to get out of the way, thank you. If you are listening to this, thank you. Yes. Thank so you much. so much. I mean, we've harassed our friends about listening to this, but uh, like if you are actually still listening to this and you're one of our friends, thanks guys. Um, but also if you've just found us on the internet and you're listening to us, we, you are the dream and we just can't believe that this is happening. And thank you so much for all of your support. It means the world. And if you manage to get past us talking about Tom Cruise conspiracy theories and nine 11 and episode zero, you're a good person. Yeah. You're a special person. <laughs> So listen, if you're if you're wondering what can you do for us, the most important thing for us is just to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to. Uh, downloading the episodes is great, but clicking subscribe and leaving a review uh, would mean the world to us. Exactly. So thank you so much again. And I think without further ado... Kim, let's do some awards. I feel like you should insert some like theme music here where it's just like... Michi Awards. <laughs> We're doing the Michi Awards. <laughs> How's that work for you? Mishy, mishy, (laughs) mishy. Yours is better. Uh, All right. So, yes, it's the 2018 Mission Impossible Awards, a.k.a. the Mishies, and it's time to give out some awards. So, Billy came, like, very prepared for this conversation. It was basically an Oscar sheet that he had, and it was, like, you know, like, best sound play. Sound play's not a word. Jesus Christ. You are very prepared, Kim. track. (laughs) Best screenplay. You want to give out the award for best moving picture? (laughs) And literally all I was like, I don't know, I wanted to do like best hair, favorite lines. So you now have the Kim and Billy mashup award. So Billy's bringing the professionalism and I'm just bringing the, I liked this part of it. So this is why we work well. Exactly. So our first award, I think probably the one, like all of these awards are special, but this one, this I one think is deep in your this heart. is, this is the Kim award. This goes back all the way to our second episode. When, when we started a very important conversation. So, Kim, what is the first award we're giving out? Best hair. And our nominees for best hair are Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 2. Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So, this is, this is a very difficult decision for me because it was Mission Impossible 2 that made me fall in love with Tom Cruise's hair in the first place. And I'm sorry, but there is like that iconic scene where he is running through the explosion and his hair is just flowing in the background. It's, it's beautiful. It's a work of art. And... I mean, like, if, if Tom Cruise is listening to this, I'm going to be so embarrassed. But all I want to do is, like, run my fingers through that hair. <laughs> like, it just, it looks Wow, great. well, you put that out there now. <laughs> Can't take that back. Nope. And then we've got... Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I don't, I don't get to... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Tell us your so thoughts, So we're Billy. each going to be announcing our own winner. Uh, 
I'm giving it to uh, Rogue Nation. Cool. I think what I said on that episode is that uh, Tom Cruise looks most comfortable in his own skin with that haircut. Yes. And uh, yeah, there's my vote. So I don't disagree with you. Um, I think you, I'm... You, wait a minute. You extremely disagree. With me. You've made it very clear. <laughs> no, no, no. Here, hear me out. So in Mission Impossible 2, the hair is just very long. It's full. I think it's its most... Like, it's like... He, the hair has peaked at that point, right? Okay. Like you can, you're only, your hair is only going to be so good at certain stages of your life. And then you just have to like maintain it moving forward, you know? Mm. So I just think this is like Mission Impossible 2 is Tom Cruise's hair at its most, most youthful and zesty. Fair enough. It's it's a <laughs> so, beautiful head of hair. I'm going to be so humiliated when I listen to the first playback of this conversation. I, I just, <laughs> I am imagining Tom Cruise's publicist listening to this and being like, Tom, I have something that's just going to make your day. There's this kid in Toronto. <laughs> Just the nicest things to say about your follicles. It's <laughs> all right, and then we've got Ghost Protocol, and this is, I think, his halfway hair. So it's yeah, his... it's it's the middle point between the two, and that's why neither one of us really like it's good it. hair, but it's just like it's you know the midpoint. It's... So uh, it's a split award for uh, our very first uh, award here on the Mishies. I don't disagree with you though. I do think the hair in Rogue Nation is perfect for him at like who he is right now. Okay. I just like. The throwback there in Mission Impossible 2. All right. Fair enough. Well, there you go. There are the awards for best hair. All right. Moving on. Our second award is for best original theme. And Billy, you want to read out the nominees? Our nominees are U2 for Mission Impossible 1, Metallica for Mission Impossible 2, Michael Giacchino, double nomination for Mission Impossible 3, and for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Joe Kramer for Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and Lauren Balfe for Mission Impossible Fallout. So my heart says give the goofy answer because really and truly as soon as Metallica came on in Mission Impossible 2 like I was just so freaking delighted it's it's the most distinctive they did the most with theirs they made it the most their own and it just like it infiltrated culture in a way I don't think the the rest of them have like there were music videos there were charts like and I know that was sort of true for the U2 one as well but I think the Metallica the only thing is that the Metallica one is split with the original song from Limp Bizkit right Right. if you're talking about infiltration it's not just the theme right yeah yeah you're not wrong i mean and then the rest of it ugh, like the music is so tied to like the theme of the movie itself right mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. fallout the theme is a bit muted but that's because this is a more like character driven film it's not so much yeah. about the explosions i don't know what, what's your answer billy gives the mishy for best original theme to joe kramer for mission impossible rogue nation i think the yeah. entire score of that movie is amazing it, it from it's from frame one to the last frame. He is in masterful control of what he's doing with that music, and it 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 just adds so much to that movie yeah. more than any of the others. And ultimately, I think I agree with you because I think in that one you notice the soundtrack the most because it's the one that is most like integrated into what is mm. ap- happening with the plot. And the scene I'm thinking of specifically is when uh, Ethan Hunt is coming back to life after drowning and he's like basically punch drunk and he makes that leap over the car and like the music is building up to do the mission impossible theme and then he falls flat and the music just stops (laughs) like that was great that was really playful and fun yeah the music's like a member of the team in that movie and i uh i love it for that reason so i agree uh joe kramer you are congratulations joe kramer all right what's next right kim do you want to read out the nominees for our next mishy award for best gadget absolutely we've got bomb gum the yep. masks, exploding cross, pocket bouncy castle, <laughs> <Sorry>. pocket <laughs> bouncy castle, 
Kim, Kim, Kim is reading this off the Google Doc that I prepared. Pocket Bouncy Castle, if you need a refresher, is from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, where the Agent that Sawyer... Sawyer. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. not his name in the movie, but it's Agent it Sawyer. Is now. <laughs> Uses to cushion his fall um, when he throws himself off the top of a building. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the Burj Khalifa gloves, and then we've got the video contact lens. And I'm going to say right now, I'm the one that said the video contact lens, but let's just delete that because like all spies have that. Like, oh, it's wow. cool, but like... You weren't even okay to just not give it the award. No. You have to specifically <laughs> announce you no longer Get out of here, contact lenses. Okay. Um, Kim, who are you giving the Mishy to? I mean, as much as I love the Pocket Bouncy Castle, which I think is immediately <sighs> I can't your winner. I believe you're not going to give it to the Pocket Bouncy Castle. <laughs> I think I want to give it to the one that I most identify with this series, like the most iconic gadget of the series. And again, like I thought the bomb gum was hilarious. The exploding cross is hilarious. Um, I suppose you could argue that the masks are what define the IMF team. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The Burj Khalifa gloves where, you know, like blue is glue and red is dead. Yeah. That is just like, it's such a good scene and it's all about the gadget and I loved it. So okay. I think I'm, it's, no, I decide right now, Burj Khalifa gloves, that's my gadget. Sure. So I hear you on the masks. Let me explain where I'm at with the masks. The masks kind of don't even feel like a gadget in this series. Like if, if, if this is Batman, the masks are not a tool on Batman's utility belt. The mm-hmm. masks are his dead parents. Like the masks. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like his suit. <laughs> no, the masks are so much a part of just who they are. Right. It's not like, Ooh, maybe we'll use masks. It's like masks are everywhere. So I almost don't count them. I feel like it's not in the spirit of this category to give it to them. We're talking about like the best one off, whatever. And it's the pocket bouncy castle. It's the only good reason. <laughs> or Sorry. The only good answer. You could use it on a spy mission. You could also use it in everyday life. If you sold one of these in Canadian Tire tomorrow, they'd be sold out by Christmas. Just like leaving the office, you see all of these like things yes. falling from the sky. Yes. <laughs> it would be so dangerous, Think Billy. how many lives it would save. <laughs> dangerous. Okay, whatever. Pocket bouncy castles falling on everyone. <laughs> yeah. We'd have to set up like safe zones where, okay, if you're going to leave work this way, this is where you exit. Yeah, there's got to be a landing pad land. for so sure. There's a line. Yeah. Okay. So it would be a little bit less cool because it would be formalized, but still fun. Don't kill the dream, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say quickly, just one more thing about the gloves. I realize that the gloves don't work, but I actually think that's okay because Ghost Protocol is kind of all about the gadgets failing. And again, it's just still so iconic and how Ethan reacts to the gloves failing. Like, it's just like, it's such a good scene. I think that's completely fair. I think you can imagine there's a version of IMF where they're not on the run, where they have like the fully charged gloves that are hooked up to like the reserve battery that would let you climb. I'm actually surprised you don't like the gloves more because it it basically turns you into Spider-Man. I know. And I mentioned how much I love the suction cups. I don't dislike (laughs) the gloves. The gloves are great. I'm into the gloves. Just the pocket bouncy castle has What are you going to use when the battery on the gloves fail? The pocket, the pocket bro- bouncy castle. You know what? They they do work together like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the physics of falling off of the top of the Burj Khalifa, you're not going to survive. <laughs> but Well, if you had a big enough pocket bouncy castle, maybe. Mm, like different sizes for different heights. We're going to have to get Neil deGrasse Tyson on this. <laughs> okay. All right. So there you go. Best gadgets. All right. Moving on. Uh, our next category is best supporting actor. Did you want to read out our nominees? Sure. Our nominees are... Philip Seymour Hoffman as Owen Davian in Mission Impossible 3. Mm-hmm. Simon Pegg as Benji, Benji. Dunn. 
specifically in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And that was a hard choice, but, but stand that's by it. what we're yeah, yeah. nominating him for. Ving Rames as Luther Stickle in Everything. all of them. <laughs> yeah, so as we we felt the need to narrow down Simon Pegg's, but for Ving Rames, it's it's a body of work we are considering here. So I am going to say right now, um, process of elimination, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's amazing, but he comes back later in a category, so I'm immediately dismissing him from this. And it's going to be uh, Simon Pegg or Ving Rames for me. Now, this is hard. This is like, Mm -hmm. this is the Sophie's Choice of our awards, I think. Because as we've discussed before, Simon Pegg as Benji, heart and soul of the IMF team. But Ving Rhames is Ving Rhames, Luther Stickle. Like, he's been in the series the whole way through. I don't know. I don't know. Who are you giving it to? Um, This is, without question, the hardest category for me. Mm -hmm. So I tell you who I'm taking out. Okay. I'm taking out Simon Pegg. What? He is magnificent in Rogue Nation. I have talked at length about the work he and the screenwriters did to actually set it up so that you care when he is kidnapped at the end. But we're going by uh, kind of traditional Oscar rules, which is you don't necessarily give it to the best person. There's all sorts of other considerations about who's at the right time, who's the right... And Simon Pegg, forgive me, but he will never be best known for Mission Impossible. He will always be best known as collaborators with Edgar Frost in um, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and all that. So while he makes a wonderful contribution here, uh, I think for awards purposes, he's out. Okay. I am stunned by your callousness, but I understand No, I think it's actually extreme compassion. Okay. <laughs> I understand that Simon Pegg is just fine. Like he's not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, so devastated right. over losing the, whereas Michi. it's possible that Ving Rhames is going to like hear about this and re- he's going to demand a recount. It's going to be, <laughs> so it comes down to me. Oh my God. Can you imagine if Ving Rhames ever listened to this? I, I, I would lose my I, mind. I, like all life goals accomplished. Yeah. I don't need children after that. It's like <laughs> I've already done the best thing I can do. Okay. So it comes down to me then, uh, for me then, between Philip Seymour Hoffman as Owen Davian in Mission Impossible 3 and Ving Rhames and all of them. Okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman as Owen Davian is fantastic mm-hmm. in this. I have seen Philip Seymour Hoffman act considerably better. All right. Ving Rhames as Luther Stickle is the lifeblood of this series in a way that even Ethan is not. Because while Ethan changes and while Ethan adapts to his real life uh, counterparts, personal whatevers Mm -hmm. and changes in response, Luther Luther, is Luther. He's a solid guy. He takes the unglamorous role. He sits in the van, he gets the job done and he just supports his buddy. And it's damn high time that someone like that got the recognition they deserve. Billy gives the Mishy for Best Supporting Actor to Ving Rhames in Mission Impossible 1 through Fallout. So never in a million years did I think I could be dissuaded from giving Benji all of the mm-hmm. awards all of the time. However, like I when I when we first talked about this question, I was thinking about it in the context of like this film universe. Yep. Um you have taken us a little bit outside of it. <laughs> Just a little. A little bit. Um, and I actually completely agree with everything you say, and I don't think I have anything further to add to it, except you you have won me over. I, too, give this award to the only person it could ever go to, Ving Rhames. Congratulations, Ving Rhames. Please take the time to update your Wikipedia and yeah. IMDb bio. 
You're going to want this at the top. You yeah. won the 2018 Michigan. <laughs> and in our next category, which is Best Supporting Actress. Please read us our uh, nominees. We have Vanessa Kirby as the White Widow in Mission Impossible. In Mission Impossible Fallout, we have Vanessa Redgrave as Max in Mission Impossible 1, and we have Michelle Monaghan as Julia in Mission Impossible 3. What's your thoughts? I mean, I think it's, this is a hard one because I I think we can both agree that Michelle Monaghan deserved better mm-hmm. throughout every single appearance she makes in this series. Yep. Uh, Vanessa Kirby as the White Widow is very memorable, but yep. you know who will always be remembered for her role in this series? Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, this is actually the easiest category for me. These are three performers who uh, I adore, truly. Yes. I would watch any of these three in anything. Um, two of these performers suffer from underwritten roles. Yes. And Max is essentially the only element of the plot of Mission Impossible 1 that has ever been referenced again, which should tell you something about how good that performance is. Mm-hmm. It's got to go to Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. So. Very uncontroversial. <laughs> uh, somebody alert BAFTA. Yeah. <laughs> should we go up a date? Uh, up a date. <laughs> Cut that. Should we go update these Wikipedia pages? Uh, no. No. <laughs> They'll know immediately who it was. Yes. <laughs> They'll figure out who we are. <laughs> okay. Uh, our next category is, this is going to be fun. It's this is going to be fun. Best stunt. And we've talked about all of these stunts, I think, at length. First contender is the iconic wire hang from the first Mission Impossible. Yeah, uh, we have the rock climb from Mission Impossible 2. Then we've got the bridge explosion from Mission Impossible 3, which I'll be honest, uh, Billy needed to remind me about because I forgot about it again. <laughs> Uh, the Burj Khalifa climb from Mission Impossible Gro- Ghost Protocol. And we've got the plane hang from that movie as well. Rogue Fuck, Nation. Rogue Nation. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we got the helicopter climb from Mission Impossible Fallout. Which also has the halo jump. Yes. It's the only movie to get two nominations. Very good Fallout. Yes. Okay. Do you have thoughts on this? I mean... I introduced the wire hang as iconic because I think it is the one stunt that everyone around the world, irregardless of whether or not you've seen any of these movies, you know what it is. You know that it's Tom Cruise in the very first Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to give it the award just for that because of its recognizability, like literally recognized around the world. But the one that is maybe the most actually impressive for me is the Burj Khalifa climb. Uh, I am right there with you. I'm giving it to the Burj Khalifa climb too. Uh, it looks like nothing else I've ever seen on film. And that's the thing though. It was like nothing else ever seen on film. Like it was released in IMAX specifically because they were like, we're going to blow some freaking minds. Yeah. It's, I I mean, I, I wonder if we're being a little unfair because I'm not giving it just to the stunt. I'm also giving it to the cinematography, but uh, well, that matters. Well, sure. But then we should call this category best stunt scene. Right. Right. I I can, I can uh, appreciate how other stunts might've been more difficult to actually perform as the stunt person, but the entire scene it's, it's Burj Khalifa. I, it's just, there's nothing like it. And here's the thing. Like, Every single one of these stunts, except for the bridge explosion for me personally, like mm-hmm. elicits a specific like 
like feeling in me as I think about it. Like right. the rock climb for Mission Impossible 2 was just so joyous. Yes, exactly. Are you singing that song in your head so right I'm now? I'm just dancing <laughs> right in my microphone. <laughs> and then like the plane hang is just so freaking cool. Yeah. Um, like the helicopter chase is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the halo jump, like especially learning about how difficult that was to shoot. Very impressive. But yeah. Right, right. That's 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 a perfect example. If I see the behind the scenes stuff on the Burj Khalifa and the behind the scenes stuff on Halo, I'm like, oh, the Halo jump is is way more impressive. But as for what registers on screen, what makes me feel more in yeah. the middle of a movie, it's Burj Khalifa. Like when the camera pulls back as he's climbing oh the side God, of the Burj Khalifa, like I, you I feel that in your stomach. You do, you do. Yeah. So yeah, I think we've got a unanimous winner here, Burj right. Khalifa. Great, congratulations, uh, best stunt. Okay, so um, our next category is Best Actress in a Leading Role. And um, won't lie, we had to reach a little bit There aren't here. a whole lot of these in this series. <laughs> uh. So um, our nominees are Rebecca Ferguson in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Paula Patton as Jane Carter in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And Tandy Newton as Naya Nordoff Hall in Mission Impossible 2. Okay, so let's get sort of the elephant in the room out of the way right now. R.I.P. Jane Carter. Yeah. So look, <laughs> this is not Paula Patton's fault. Um, we talked a lot about how Ghost Protocol was written on the fly and rewritten on the fly and how it's impressive how much of it holds together. I, I think what we didn't properly explain is that if there's one thing that got really, really um, butchered by that whole process, it was Paula Patton's character. There's really not much there for her to do. Yeah. And like, really, she should probably be in the best supporting actress category. But uh, we, wa- we, <laughs> we wanted we her to get to a little bit yeah. of spotlight here um i'm just going to talk about tandy newton as naya next uh i freaking love that movie and i love her in it and some of my favorite moments in this entire franchise involve naya like Mm -hmm. (laughs) just some of those scenes like even the goofy ones where tom cruise is yelling at her feel better fantastic (laughs) to this day she's great one of my favorite moments she manages to respond to that and then when she injects herself just Uh, like oh that's my favorite moment of the series it's amazing nothing has changed that but I have to give the award to Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa because yeah. she's just, we haven't seen anyone like her in there the series. Is. She is Ethan Hunt's equal. She is his match. She's his lobster. There's <laughs> no doubt in my mind that this has to go to Rebecca Ferguson. And she's uh, just so fucking cool in this movie. And yeah. I know I've talked at length about like my favorite stunt that she does where she just basically straddles up like men by the neck and then takes them out. I, th- that sounds so weird to say. It's difficult to describe it any other way. Though. <laughs> sounds a little bit um, awkward, but it's really cool. Here's, here's like, let's be clear. We are not the Academy of Motion Pictures, Art and Sciences. No. <laughs> These are the Mission Impossible Awards. The Mishies. So if we have to make a distinction here. Mishy, mishy, uh, mishy. Tandy, <laughs> Tandy Newton. Mishy would. Okay. <laughs> Tandy Newton is giving a fantastic performance that you could cut out of Mission Impossible 2 and you could put it into any um, heist thriller or yes. general action movie. Rebecca Ferguson is giving a performance that is specific to the Mission Impossible franchise. It is so deeply tied into... Uh, let's mix like nine different metaphors here. It is tied into the wavelength of DNA. (laughs) (laughs) That is this movie. Like, like it, 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 I, I don't actually think it would work in another movie. No. And it's because at this point we know Ethan well enough to know that like when Ilsa appears, we go, Oh my God, she is the female Ethan. And it takes, it takes 10 seconds and 
they're like in love and you get it and you believe it, which is just, I don't know. And you know what? Like the scene where you just know that like Ethan has met his, like his true match. Um, like you can argue about like the villains and stuff, but mm-hmm. like really like Ilsa is Ethan's life partner as far For as sure. I'm concerned is the motorcycle chase scene in uh, <sighs> rogue nation where she knows that if she stands in the middle of the road, yeah. he won't hit her. And that's how she wins. And like the way that she sort of looks regretfully at him as she drives away. It's perfect. And she's doing it through a motorcycle helmet. Yeah. It's, so yeah. I think the unanimous winner here is Rebecca Ferguson. Agreed. Huzzah. All right. On to okay. our next category. We are talking best villain. I'm so excited to talk yes. about this. Okay. So our, this is going to be a lot of fun. Our nominees are Max in Mission Impossible 1. Sean Ambrose in Mission Impossible 2. Owen Davian in Mission Impossible 3. I can't say this guy's name. Nykvist. Nykvist in Ghost Protocol. There you go. (laughs) Solomon Lane in Rogue Nation. And John Lark in Fallout. And let's be clear, that's Henry Cavill, (laughs) a.k.a. uh, Wilson. Walker. Walker. Agent Walker. There we go. A.k.a. No Superman. Mustache. (laughs) A.k.a. the guy in The Witcher. Have you been following that? ridiculous he, I, I so don't get this at all he looks exactly like the video game character to a t and people are like looks when will we stop harassing this man about his facial hair and or head hair like just let him be he looks wonderful give this man just a moment of peace in okay. his life I have more to say, but you're really upset about this okay so. go for it what more do you have to say about him and the no, witcher it's just like I'm sorry it's I don't know enough about The Witcher to give an educated opinion on how he looks versus the character that right. he's playing. But all I can see is Henry Cavill looking ludicrous in like this like, ridiculous hair around him. I'm like, you know what? Hollywood just Henry Cavill is a superstar because like one, he is a very good actor. But two, he's a beautiful man. Like, just let him be beautiful. Put him in roles where he just gets to be stunning and act really well. He should be on like an early 2000s era Fox family drug like he should be on something like the oc like that's where oh he my looks God, like yes yeah yeah or or like uh, like a uh uh oh my god what is the was the the lady lawyer from the 90s uh ally mcbeal he should be on like an ally mcbeal <laughs> i knew exactly what you were talking about though <laughs> all right fun bits that are gonna have to get cut out of the podcast yeah. okay so so i mean like for those reasons, I'm just m- dismissing okay, John Lark. John Lark is off. I'm going to do process of uh, elimination as well. Okay. Um, I'm eliminating Nykvist because, like, he's just sort of like I don't even really remember That's fair. him. Really, remember really name. great actor. He's on screen for like two minutes in that movie. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, I love Vanessa Redgrave as Max, but we almost kind of cheated here a little bit because, because it's. The, it's actually the John Boyne. Could be yeah. Phelps, and we put him in a different category. But I I agree with you. It's like she's amazing, but I think uh, where she shines is just like she's having fun and she's not really a. She's she's not really the antagonist se. in yeah. like a, a true narrative sense. So yeah. okay. Um, I'm next going to eliminate Sean Ambrose because even though he's sort of positioned as Ethan's like dark equal, mm-hmm. who that actually is, I think, is Solomon Lane. So Sean Ambrose, I'm just going to say is cut for me. And like what it comes down to is Owen Davian versus Solomon Lane. And I already know my answer. So this is interesting for me. It came down to Sean and Owen Davian. Okay. See, I kind of, I think clearly the screenwriters wanted to set up Solomon Lane as the anti Ethan. 
And in both Rogue Nation and in Fallout, they got distracted and more interested in other things, and they never really got around to doing it. Right. Um, whereas I think the dynamic setup in Mission Impossible 2, you see, one, he's just so creepy and in an obsessive way, and you get how that makes him the anti-Ethan. If Ethan is obsessed in a heroic way, he is obsessed in a villainous way. And so that's why it came down to those two for me. Okay. Solomon Lane for me really isn't in Rogue Nation all that much more than Nyquist is in Ghost Protocol. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I just think it was um like it was such a big plot line in Rogue Nation that like, oh, Ethan, you've met your match. And mm-hmm. like the audience is like the first time you see the movie, you're like, is Ethan making bad decisions because he is being outsmarted by Solomon Lane? And that for me was the distinction, like why okay. um, Solomon Lane is more villainous than um, Ambrose because you didn't actually know if Ethan was being outsmarted. And with Sean Ambrose, like I, I also just thought he was a creep. Yeah, that's fair. Sean Ambrose is not nearly the caliber of supervillain. That yeah. Solomon Lane is. He's a he's he's more like a petty crook compared to yeah. international mastermind of civil <laughs> wars around the globe. But all of that being said, like my winner is Owen Davian. Yeah, we're Venn diagramming this. Yeah. It is uh it is Owen Davian. Because like as you said before, Philip Seymour Hoffman has had better acting roles, but the way that he plays Owen Davian in this movie, it's just he's so bored. Yes. That it's like every time he's like, what's your name? Or I don't care. Or just do this thing. Like it's actually like you don't see that in any of their villains here. And it is unbelievably difficult to be able to play bored while still being the most magnetic thing on the screen. Like I can't take my eyes off him. It's, it's, uh, yeah, he's the most terrifying villain. He's the most interesting villain. Yeah. And And you said it when we were actually talking about mission impossible three, like like the world is sort of like an anthill to him. Like yeah. people are like uninteresting and he's only just sort of like, he's creating these things for himself because it's the only thing that sort of, I think keeps him going because he's like, he's probably, um, is it Camus? It's like, who said it? Like if you actually paid attention to the world and like how boring and ridiculous it is, like you'd just off yourself. Um, we have established <laughs> that I have not studied <laughs> philosophy. Well, I'm pretty sure I've mixed this up. I don't actually think it's Camus. I think it's, um, uh, Nietzsche who says, I don't know. One of these things. When I'll the good place does an episode <laughs> on it, I will let you know if you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I just think there is just like a chillingness. Like there's no soul to Owen Davian. He's just, yes. he is pure evil. Love it. So he is my best villain. Way to go, Owen Davian. Huzzah for being evil. Great. Okay, our next category is best boss. And we've got Jim Phelps in Mission Impossible 1 as our first nominee. Uh, Commander Swanbeck in Mission Impossible 2. Brassel in Mission Impossible 3. The Secretary, played by Tom Wilkinson in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And then Alec Baldwin as Hunley in, uh, well, I guess he's in Rogue Nation, but we're nominating him for Fallout. We're nominating him for Fallout. Technically, there is no boss in Rogue Nation. Yeah. Uh, he gets named boss within the last, I think, 15 seconds of the movie. Yes, welcome to the team. <laughs> so there is no nomination for Rogue Nation. Okay. If anything, it would be Brant. Yeah. But he's not nominated. No. I can neither. You're not nominated, Brand. <laughs> um, again, process of elimination. Um, I think Tom Wilkinson is he, like he shines for the few minutes that he's on the screen in Ghost Protocol, but he doesn't actually. 
These people tend He's to have uncredited. A, these in the people movie. tend to have a short uh, lifespan. His is by far the shortest. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't think in good conscience we can give him best boss. Exactly. And then the next person I'm eliminating is Swanbeck because first of all he's disgusting. I mean Anthony Hopkins as a human I'd like to believe is just beautiful and good the whole way through. But Swanbeck is gross. He's a creep. Yeah. Yeah. You know that. By 2018, HR would have had to yeah. <laughs> Step clean in, up some Swanbeck messes. Put yeah. in some sexual prevent. What is it? It's not sexual harassment training now. It's like preventative training. Oh, I I, don't I, know. I did not know that. Uh, okay. I don't know. Moving on. Um. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next person I'm eliminating is Jim Phelps in Mission Impossible 1 because I just didn't care that much. He's also a pretty terrible boss yeah. in that he kills most of his own team and is yeah. working against them. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, this is this is hard for me because, like, it. Okay, so it's down between Theodore Brassel and Hunley. Mm-hmm. I think the best boss is actually Hunley. Yes, and Brassel isn't actually the IMF director, right? Like, he's the CIA guy trying well, um, to sort of like take them down. It's just he has the best lines. Sorry, who is the CIA director? Isn't it Brassel? Brassel is definitely IMF. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's it's Hunley who starts as CIA and then goes over. I to, did know that, but I thought Brassel was. No, he's definitely he's definitely their like top oh. boss. Yeah, I gotta agree Never with mind. you. Brassel is a rather terrible boss. He might pop up in a later category. With again, like I love him so much as a character, but I guess the reason why I remember him as not being on the team is because he's so like anti IMF, like he's just constantly criticizing them. Yes, yes, yes. It's he's got to learn that like positive reinforcement is so much more effective than just <laughs> beating people down. He should read a parenting book. Yeah, he should. <laughs> okay, so uh, best boss goes to Hunley. Hunley in Mission Impossible Fallout. Congratulations, Alec Baldwin. I think you should put this on your Wikipedia page. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <clears throat> Our next category is best one-time sidekick. So these are the people who, for one brief glorious moment, shine in a Mission Impossible movie. Never came back. We have no idea what happened to them. Oh, we know what happened to one of these people. so, So we know what happened to our first nominee, Jack Harmon, as played by Emilio Estevez in Mission Impossible 1. Uh, then we have Billy in Mission Impossible 2. We have Zen in MI3. Declan in MI3. Mm, poor Paula Patton. Agent Carter in Ghost Protocol. This is hard. This is hard. Because, okay, the category title is Best One-Time Sidekick, but I'm going to think it as, like, not so much, like, were they actually a good sidekick? I'm thinking of it as... Who did I like the best? <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's no there's no criteria here. You can interpret this however you want. So, as much as I love Emilio Estevez... Uh, I can't believe you're cutting him first. I realize I just said there's no criteria, <laughs> but that's bonkers. Okay, Billy's out first. Like, what are we even talking about? Billy is out first. I think I like Billy because he's just so... Fu- like, his, his existence oh is hilarious God. to me. Like, okay. just, I'm not going to interrupt you. What was the you? point I'm of Billy? I'm not going to interrupt no, you. No, go ahead. No, okay, so you're taking out Emilio. <laughs> I'm taking out Emilio because the way that he dies in Mission Impossible 1 is so goddamn stupid. Like, I just... He clearly committed suicide by Fair. elevator shaft. And I just, I can't get over that. That was so dumb. How how did Brian De Palma not think this looks ridiculous? Fair enough. Okay, so that's all I have to say about that. 
Go, go on. What, what's next? Who's, <laughs> Who else am I eliminating? Um, Zen, because alas for her, again, it's not the actor's fault, but she's mostly forgettable. And the character is a terrible sidekick. Yes. She is not good at her job. No. Um, I really, really like Jonathan Reese Myers as Declan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that he, he encroached a little bit too much on Luther's territory. Oh, yes. And so as one who loves Luther so much, I feel a little bit defensive. For sure. Um, and we've already talked about how great Paula Patton is, um, given the limited material that she has to work with. I don't know. This this is harder for me. Wh- who are you giving it to? Wait a minute. Are you giving it to who I think you're giving it to? I don't know yet. Who are you giving it to? I'm still deciding. You say what you have to say. So Zen and Declan are out because, as you recall, in the fan fiction of Kim and Billy Talk universe, they leave to go... Start a family. Start a family in Belfast, <laughs> even though, as we've established, Declan is probably not taught, from Northern Ireland. Yeah, and they teach their children the little prayer that uh, Zen knows to bring her right, cat home right. when it gets lost. Um, so they don't need an award. They're fine. Okay. Um, Billy is out because he does nothing. He flies a helicopter. He tries to make some jokes, and then he doesn't. Like, it's I just, can't believe that you are considering giving it to him. It's just because he's so pointless, it's funny. I, um, okay. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. For my own personal amusement, as established, this isn't the best sidekick. It's the one that I like the best for whatever criteria I personally have. So it comes down to Agent Carter in Ghost Protocol, and it comes down to Emilio Estevez in Mission Impossible 1. Okay. I'm giving it to Emilio Estevez. He freaking stays still as like a three-foot-long piece of metal impales him in the face. We have seen Ethan have maybe two friends in the entire series, and Emilio is one of them. Uh, Carter, I think. She has a backstory. She kicks ass. She maybe makes a couple of mistakes. Like, she really shouldn't have kicked uh, Emmanuel. That's her name, right? Uh, no, Sabine. Sabine. Sabine, yeah. Sabine. She really shouldn't have kicked Sabine out of the You're window. your French actors in Mission Impossible confused. I'm so Were you sorry. about to say Emmanuel Bayard? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ooh. Look, she's fine. I have no beef against Agent Carter, even though she did let Sawyer die there. I just said she that. She feels haunted by that, Billy. Which How dare you pour salt in that wound? Uh, Emilio was not... A proper field agent. He was the tech guy who went out on the mission and did his best and, yes, got impaled in an entirely preventable way. <laughs> but I liked his rapport. He had the best gadgets to offer people. Bomb gum. Yeah, I mean, I guess Benji is actually a much better Emilio and now that I think about this. Yep. I, uh, you know, I'm going to let, I'm not going to criticize you. you. You get to choose whatever you want to choose. Mm. I'm going to give the award to Agent Carter because she is actually a fully fleshed character as much as like she isn't the most important person in that movie. There is at least like, you know why she's there. You know what her motivations are. And uh, when she does kick Sabine out the window, like how is it that it's only now at the end of this series that I am realizing that Benji Dunn is basically just British Emilio. (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly who the character is. And maybe that's why I like Benji so much. No, he's not, though, because do you remember when we were talking about Mission Impossible? Part of the reason why I didn't really believe Emilio Estevez as a tech guy is because, like, overall, generally, I think all tech guys, with the one shining exception of Luther Stickle, should be <sighs> sort of like sweet nerds. Like, that is just a stereotype that has been, that was, I think, established okay. by James Bond. I, I don't 
understand. So what is it about Emilio Estevez that doesn't say sweet nerd to you? Because in the movie, he's not playing a sweet nerd. He's playing a little bit of a jock. He's got the glasses. He's typing on his thing. He can't move. He's making dumb jokes. He's a nerd. The man is a nerd. (laughs) Okay, fine. I guess I will have to... like eventually force myself to rewatch Mission Impossible. Well, you've now made me change my mind on this one. Okay. So I'm going with you. I'm giving it to Agent Carter. As it should be. I'm pleased by this victory. Congratulations, Agent Carter. (laughs) He said begrudgingly. I know. (laughs) Caused great strife. Oh, okay. okay. Category I'm excited for. Me too. Best lines. How do you want to, how do you want to read these out? I'm going to set this up a little bit in that, um, when Billy came over and he was like, okay, best screenplay, best cinematography or something. You didn't actually have that one. But I was like, no, we have to talk about the lines. And then we had so much fun going through the movies and we had to pick out one line from each movie. And in a couple of cases, we couldn't help yeah, ourselves there failed. too. <laughs> because there's just so many great lines. And I, I, I think without further ado, why don't we just start reading them? Okay, nominee number one from the film Mission Impossible 1, delivered by Emilio Estevez. Who did not win the award. (laughs) Changing my vote. Okay. Um, uh, The line is, hasta lasagna, don't get any on (laughs) ya. Sorry. You read that so jauntily, your shoulders were bouncing. I got good rhythm. Okay. So for Mission Impossible 2, we have two contenders. The mm-hmm. first one is by um, Swanbeck. And you just like Anthony Hopkins, like Sir Anthony Hopkins saying this line. It's it's beautiful. Mr. Hunt, this isn't Mission Difficult. It's Mission Impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Great line. Right. That was our, my British accent. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, our other nominee uh, delivered by Luther Stickle in Mission Impossible 2 is That Punk Put a Hole in My Versace. And then in Mission Impossible 3, we've got Brassel. You should actually read this. You do a great job. You can look at me with those judgmental eyes all you want, but I bullshit you not. I will bleed on the American flag to make sure those stripes stay red. It's fantastic. That was great. Thank you. And then in Rogue Nation. So this isn't so much the line itself. It's just how it was delivered. So it's Ethan at the very end saying, Mission accomplished. Yep. And then it doesn't work. Uh, we have two quotes from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I'm going to let you read the first one. Yeah, because you have to read the second one. Okay. Okay. So it's Brant saying, I can neither confirm nor deny details of any operation without the secretary's approval. And it's not so much of the line. It's just like that. It's a recurring joke. It's a callback. It's it's very funny. It's good. Uh, and our other line, of course, from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation is, shoes, please. Shoes. Please. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get to our final nominees coming for Mission Impossible Fallout. And both of these lines are Erica Sloan, uh, because she's just, as played by Angela Bassett, it's just so great. So the first one is, you use a scalpel, I prefer a hammer. All right, so the second uh, line by Erica Sloan is actually a response to um, Alan Hunley when Alan is defending uh, Ethan's decision to save his team member versus, like, get the plutonium. So Alan Hunley says, his team would be dead. And then Erica Sloan says... Yes, they would. That's the job. (laughs) That's great. Thanks. So having just read all of these right now, I'm going to say right now the winner is very clearly for me. Shoes, please. It is shoes, please. (laughs) Well, we talked about it. This was like an important political moment. This caused like a huge firestorm of debate. Yeah, it was just finally here's a badass 
woman who isn't going to be kicking ass in heels because that's just implausible. Also, the delivery will always be funny to me. It will never <laughs> not be funny. I can say that line all day long and She'll I will laugh. <laughs> Please. Okay. Our next category is best original screenplay. Uh, so all of the films are nominated here. Mm-hmm. Now, Kim, when we were talking about this category, you came out of the gate swinging with a wild take. So why don't it you... It is not wild. Okay, so I was... In an effort to, you know, like, keep this as, like, uh, quick and snappy as possible, I said to Billy, okay, but can we actually really nominate this screenplay? Like, this is not to discredit any of the hard work done on the screenplay, but most of these movies started production without a finished screenplay. Like, they went in with stunts in mind, certain plot points in mind, and then they sort of built the screenplay around that. So it's not like the screenplay was ever the blueprint for these films. So that that is why I was like, uh, maybe we just skip the screenplay part. So Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible 2 both have very uh, carefully thought out uh, screenplays by really old school screenwriters. Uh, I'll give it to you on Mission Impossible 3 and Mission Impossible 4 that screenplay was secondary, but Rogue Nation and Fallout are a return to form of sorts where maybe they don't have the same detail uh, in terms of plotting, but the character work that goes into those screenplays uh, is tremendous. And we talked about that a lot. So if you want to eliminate three and four right off the bat or three and ghost protocol, I should say that's fine. But I think there are at least four very valid nominees here. Okay. And, and the other two th- we will eliminate immediately. Yes. But well, the other thing I will say is like for me, the screenplay is so closely tied to the director, which is a uh, spoiler alert. It's our next category. I think, okay. But that's only because two of the nominees happen to have overlaps, right? And their writing team and their directing team, like number one and number two, like John Woo, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the screenplay. No, 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 not at all. So look, let's get this out of the way. You, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, our feelings on the scripts of one and two. Yep. They're not making it to the final round. Nope. We're down to rogue nation and fallout. Go. I think, and if you want to just tie this into best director at the same time. Yeah. Cause look, I mean, well, let's be clear. So, the screenplay and the director for uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout, same person, Christopher McQuarrie. Right. So why don't we do this all at once? We can yeah. call this the best tour. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because I think, and look, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I think when we got to best director, we were going to get down to McHugh and it was just going to be a question of which yeah. movie. And you know what? Should well, we just lump in the next three categories? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, they're all so inextric- okay. inextricably tied for me. So our next three categories were Best Original Screenplay, yep. Best Director, and Best Mission Impossible Film. I think you and I are coming down to two movies here. And truthfully, I don't know my answer yet because this is this is hard. So our final nominees across all three categories... First of all, I am just going to give a little special shout out here for Mission Impossible 2 because it's not going to be a final contender for me anyways, but I love that movie so much. It is so much fun. And if you, for some reason, remember it poorly, I I implore you, go watch it again. And I will give a special shout out for Ghost Protocol. Um, if you remember that fondly, you'll it's still just as great <laughs> as you up. remembered. And it, and it reignited this franchise in a way that is truly... Um, truly a, a huge accomplishment. So while we're giving you special shout outs, th- these are not special shout outs, but they are acknowledgements. So you and I feel differently about Mission Impossible the first. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm i sorry, Brian De Palma. I don't like your movie. I found it confusing and hard to follow. You apologize to him every single time you say that. I just feel like I should like it more than I do, okay. and I don't. All right. Um, 
I think J.J. Abrams did a very good job with Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, look, the man worked with what he got. I think I would love to see what he would do with one if he came in from the start, had a blank canvas, and could arrange it exactly as he wanted to. I think it would probably come out ranked a whole lot higher. Totally. The whole movie, though, like, it was a cleanup job, and it's a beautiful, stunning cleanup job, but... It is what it is. Yeah. And Ghost Protocol is a wonderful movie. I yep. love it. It is. I, I mean, like, it's almost unfair to compare it to what follows, but, you know, it's because it is its own beautiful, unique thing. And Brad Bird did magic as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned with that role, especially considering where Tom Cruise was at in his yep. career at the time. Um, but this is a franchise. It's a series. So we have to compare it to the ones that follow. And I just think that they are better movies. So we're talking best screenplay, best director, and best movie between Rogue Nation and, and Fallout. Fallout. Why I wanted to put the three different categories, even though we're going to talk about all the same things, mm-hmm. is that I wanted to allow for variation between the three if we wanted to. Okay. But if it's one answer for you across the board, go for it. Well, I know that it's hard because there's just, there's so much to say about this. It's like, there's a reason why they're broken out into different categories at like, you know, like the Academy Awards and like, who are we to say, it's different. (laughs) I mean, who we, I mean, it's me. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's like when I'm thinking about what do I want to spend my money on? I'm not thinking, Oh, this director is superior to that director. I'm thinking, what movie did I love the most? Mm -hmm. And like, that's it. That's the end Mm -hmm. of the thought. And so, yeah, Rogue Nation and Fallout. That's it's hard because I think Rogue Nation is so I keep saying so good in this stupid podcast. I'm sorry. Look, I said about I said this last um last episode rewatching these movies, it has been truly I like each one individually. It has been truly surprising to watch these back to back and consider it as a whole and to realize that this series is a masterpiece. It it really, truly is one of the best film series out there. And I don't understand why I didn't rank it as highly in my brain before. And I have run out of superlatives to describe my fond feelings for it. So good is a perfectly acceptable <laughs> word, er, a word because there's, there's just nothing else to say. These rock. They are great. They are great. And I think Rogue Nation just elevated the series to a level that no one expected it to be elevated to. And mm-hmm. then... When Fallout came, everyone was like, the bar is so high. Like, wow, you surprised us, Christopher McQuarrie. Like, good job. And then I personally think he just, he pushed the bar even higher. And I hope sincerely for selfish reasons that there's a new uh, Mission Impossible movie. But I also kind of hope that there's not because I don't know how you keep pushing the bar higher. So here's where I was going to land after we had our uh, long conversation last week. I was... I feel in my heart I have to stick best original screenplay with Rogue Nation. I think I have problems with the John Lark character. Um, uh, the, the whole plot with that character doesn't quite work for me the right way. And I think some of the interaction between the team is lacking in Fallout. And so my favorite screenplay ends up being Rogue Nation. I was willing to give best director to Christopher McQuarrie for Fallout, though, because mm-hmm. I think you're right on a lot of little technical levels. It is a huge improvement. So in the week since we recorded the Fallout episode, um, I will say that the thing that I have ruminated on has been my feelings about 
the Henry Cavill's character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that you're right. I think he sort of takes away from the movie as a whole because like unless your theory is true that he's there just as a giant fuck you from Tom Cruise, (laughs) which is like, I love that theory. (laughs) Um, I think he takes up too much time and space. And so like, that is the only detraction, like the only detractor for me from fallout. I do think that fallout is a more emotionally fulfilling movie because I think rogue nation, just like it wows you on every single level and you're not perhaps as wowed by Fallout, but you're more hit in the gut because this is the most character-driven movie as far as I'm concerned. And you can only have the reaction that you have to Fallout if you know who these characters are and you know how far they've come. And I think Ethan Hunt is the most fascinating he's ever been in Fallout. And you don't... We watch movies to be entertained. We watch movies to be taken into other places. And... They're your friends at this point, and you were totally like it was an out of body experience for me watching Fallout, and I just I'm I'm rambling a little bit right now because I'm having such a hard time because I think I'm about to give the award to Rogue Nation. Oh what? And I just what I thought I, all of this was built up to give it to Paulo. What no. is happening? What is happening? This is not I just, what I thought. I thought we were gonna have a split decision here. I just I you got in my head with oh the my Henry Cavill thing. What are you talking? I can't believe this. I just, I, he is a flaw in Fallout oh, and I can't find God. flaws okay. in Rogue Nation. So that's what it comes down to for me. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything else then. I'm really upset about this. So here's where, here's where I stand on this. I think Fallout is the most perfectly crafted, beautiful slice of chocolate cake. Okay. And, uh, Rogue Nation is a perfectly done, well seared, medium rare steak. They are they are two different items. I was gonna say they're apples and oranges, but they're not. They're steak and cake. <laughs> <laughs> and one need not say one is inherently better than the other. It's what you're in the mood for. It's what you are craving in that moment. For me, the steak dinner is what takes it. I don't think there's a wrong. Well, I kind of like the metaphor that you're using here because if you are eating these items that you've so described, One steak comes the, first, yes, and then cake comes second, and it's the dessert that wraps everything up. Yep, and it's delicious the whole way through. So I'm giving it to Rogue Nation. Uh, I, I just I need I need Tom to know how much I love Fallout. I need McHugh to know how much I love okay. Fallout. And I'm so sorry, Henry Cavill. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I think you're great. I do think you're the worst part of Fallout. And it's not your fault. Not his fault. He just has too much screen time. And it's that's what it comes down to. There's a flaw. There, there, there is a flaw in Fallout. And there are no flaws in Rogue Nation, as far as I'm concerned. And wow. so my winner of the 2018 Michi Award for best film in the Mission Impossible franchise by a hair, no, by a mustache is Rogue Nation. Okay, there you have it. But look, that's not the end because we're actually coming up to our most important category. Yes. This began as a Tom Cruise podcast. So it is time to get to the Michi Award for best actor in a leading role. I'm so glad we did it in this order because now I feel like 
I'm okay. a little. I immediately know where this award goes. Nervous about how distraught you are. <laughs> like I'm actually sweating yeah, right now. <laughs> you are visibly upset about what you just did, even though it's literally the exact same team across both <laughs> movies. Like no one's going to be offended, except pa- possibly Henry Cavill, especially because so early Henry. you attacked him. What did I call him, Harry Cavill? <laughs> what did I say? I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> that was really good. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to start and say, yes. So to be clear, we've nominated Tom Cruise in all six of these movies. And the award is for basically where is Ethan Hunt the best? Like where, no, like, well, and that's sort of like, it's two sides of the same coin. Like in which movie does Tom Cruise shine the most Yeah, as Ethan Hunt? And, um, to start this conversation, I will say a criticism of this franchise as a whole has been that Ethan Hunt is just sort of like this cipher throughout the movies. Like he's like this sort of. (laughs) I'm going to keep throwing back to this because I love it so much. Like he's a man who wears many masks. Well, and that like he, the character just changes to suit whatever the screenplay needs. Right. If they have uh, included a romantic subplot, all of a sudden he's like a Romeo. Yes. If uh, they want to tell a story about a Spartan agent, all of a sudden he's like completely asocial. Yes. That's the traditional criticism of the Ethan Hunt role. And then I think starting in Ghost Protocol, that really changes. Like he becomes like the Ethan that we see in Rogue Nation. It's more of a stable character. Yeah. Um, And because of that, I just think his character arc over the last three movies is like, it's not like a loud and shouty development, but the Mm -hmm. Ethan that we see in Fallout is very different from the Ethan that we see in any of the other movies. Sure. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders in Fallout, but he's, also, I think never been more human. Like he, as we discussed last week, he's Superman, mm-hmm. but he has to work really, really hard to be Superman, and it comes at a great emotional cost for him, in addition to a physical cost as well. So, yeah. I'm gonna give Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt uh, in Fallout the award. Uh, so I'm with you. I think. Tom Cruise in Mission Possible Three. It's his showiest performance, and it's incredibly affecting. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, he does a tremendous job at showing someone who is... He's got a lot of range in Mission Impossible 3. He's on his last nerve. He is so desperate and so worried and trying so hard. And he sells that very, very well. And I think he takes character to places we don't see in other movies um, in a way that is still shocking every time I turn on that movie. I am with you that... Tom Cruise does something very quietly across Rogue Nation and Fallout, but even more so in Fallout, about expressing that character's real, sincere desire to save lives and his real, sincere pain and suffering when a life is lost. Yeah. And how that relates to his team, how that relates to his family, how that relates to his friends. Um, It's a very special performance that you really don't see in a lot of other types of movies like this. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm giving it to him for fallout. Yeah. And I mean, I just like, I know that we're in agreement, but I want to keep talking about this because it's just so good. Like we sort of touched on this last week, but there are lines and moments delivered in that, in uh, fallout, which wouldn't be as affecting as they right. are unless you knew the character so well. So one of the like best line contenders that we had for fallout was when Ethan delivers the line, like I am the storm, I am the storm, but 
He is. He is the storm. And, and look, let's be clear. Like, let's not lose this aspect of it. As much as I love what he did in Mission Impossible 3, that's basically all he did. For this one, he gave that performance and learned to do halo jumps. I know, right? right? Like, <laughs> it, is, it is everything all at once in one package. It is, I mean, something we've been kind of getting back to across this entire series. There is no other performer who does what Tom Cruise does in Fallout. And I actually think that that's a very good note to wrap up this episode on. Um, I I did have a specific question for you, but oh, I think okay. it dovetails into... Oh, wait, breaking news. Special technical award. Best podcaster who's also a cat. Penny. Goes to Penny the podcast. Okay, I interrupted your very <laughs> emotional moment for that one joke. Okay, please, go ahead. No, um, I think, you know, like taking a step back from the series and saying, you know, like this is a series driven by Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has gone through more than most actors have to go through to be a success in Hollywood. Some mm-hmm. of that is absolutely self-inflicted, but all of it has been driven by his desire to act well and entertain well. Like he just really cares about making good movies and, you see that in different ways in every single performance that he gives, I think. And like, again, some movies are better than others, but I think mission impossible is the one that Tom Cruise will most be remembered for, for years to come, whether that's fair or not. For sure. This has become his defining role. But I will say having watched all these movies, I want to see Tom Cruise in more action movies because I think he's just so freaking good at it. Yeah. But I also think that I want to see him in more like, let's get back to Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. Like he's, for An sure. excellent actor. For sure. I think he's going to have to let his age catch up with him to play a role like that because he's a little unbelievable to me as anything other than a super spy looking the way he looks. Like, yeah. I have trouble, I would have trouble accepting him as just like a dad or a mid-50s guy. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Tom Cruise, you're going to have to start eating some chips. Yeah. Drinking like, some beer. <laughs> take a week off from the gym. <laughs> so... I said this before, uh, selfishly, I do want another Mission Impossible movie, Yeah. but also I do really like Tom Cruise, the human being, and I don't want him to die. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's maybe he needs to start, uh, maybe like less completely action driven movies and more like, let's go back to edge of tomorrow where, I mean, I kind of watch. So he's a guy who doesn't like series, right? Except now he's all in on series. And watching him do something a little different with how he interpreted this character across six different movies, I'd kind of like to see him on TV. I'd like to see him in like a true detective style miniseries. Just give me seven hours of Tom Cruise. Yeah. Doing what I think, I think he would, I think he would put in the work. He would absolutely really put in the work. sell you on an arc across seven episodes. You know, that's interesting. I never really thought about Tom Cruise on TV. Like, I think- it, he he's he feels like he's one of the last people who is too big for TV. Yeah. Like now, right? Like even A-list stars do TV. And yet he still feels like he's part of an old model where once you make it to the silver screen, you don't go back. I completely agree with you. Like he still is Tom Cruise. Like everyone around the world knows who Tom Cruise, well, not everyone, but like most people around the world know who Tom Cruise is. And I think the thing that breaks my heart the most about Tom Cruise is his intentions when he started out on his career were again to be like just an amazing actor and to entertain. And now he's been put in a box where it's like, okay, you're an action superstar. 
So that is what you're allowed to do now. Well, and I wonder if he could dial down his performance to fit on a TV screen, right? Like he's very, I think he's very conscious and very aware of what things will look like projected up on a big screen. I kind of want to see him accept the challenge, his mission, if he chooses to accept mm. it. Can you give a, a performance that works when you're sitting on your couch and watching? I don't know. Anyway. I, I think that's great. And I actually, like, I'd never thought about that before. And um, Tom Cruise's publicist, if you are listening, uh, that's a great idea. Okay, so we are coming to the end, but my one question for you is, do you feel differently about the Mission Impossible series now that we've done this? Yeah, from episode zero to now, I like saying big hyperbole that I can't back up. Um, I am legitimately sad that we are wrapping this up because I have loved spending time in this universe. And this miniseries has really showed me that my affection for these movies ranks with Star Wars ranks with back to the future. It yeah. is, uh, it's, it's changed in that somehow my affection for this is more than the sum of my affection for each individual movie. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty much right there with you. Uh, prior to doing this exercise, I thought about the movies individually and I didn't really think about mission impossible as a franchise. Like mm -hmm. I suppose I was mm -hmm. like, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, but they were spread out far enough in my life that yeah. I didn't think of them together collectively and having watched each movie like on a week by week basis and then talked about it extensively. Like obviously yeah. that's going to really ram it into my brain there, but I, it just made me appreciate all of the work that went into telling such an engaging, fun, interesting story and just really hats off to everyone involved in each of these movies. They're great. And again, well, selfishly, I want another one. On the other hand, Tom Cruise, please take care of yourself. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> totally agree. So, I mean, this is sad, but I think that wraps the very first Kim and Billy talk miniseries. If you have made it this far, thank you. You thank are you so much. Friends for life. I can't believe we did it. I know. But please, <laughs> please, please, please come back here. Second week of January, you're going to get Kim and Billy talk men in black. It's going to be fantastic. And, uh, you know, the more you listen, the more you can tell us what you want to hear. We uh, are totally open to suggestions. I know Kim thinks I'm joking, but I really do want to do Kim and Billy talk sisterhood of the traveling pants. <laughs> um, there's a lot of different places we can take this show and we would love to hear from you. So thank you for listening. Check out patreon.com slash Kim and Billy talk, where you can catch our Magnolia holiday special. Visit us on Twitter at Kim and Billy talk. And for possibly the last and most important time, I think it's mission accomplished. And then we've got the... Oh, my God. I. <laughs> What's the phone hang? Twice now, <laughs> I have not been able to read my own writing. The plane hang. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was looking at that. I was like, fuck, did I forget another stunt? Jesus Christ.